HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here. It's our 14th season. And this is a very special night tonight. We've got a guest co-host. Hey there. Uh, you might recognize my voice if you're a diligent HRN listener, which you should be. Uh, my name is Greg Benson. I'm a co-host of The Speakeasy, also here on Heritage Radio Network. And we're talking about the Bolazole Festival, which is tomorrow in Brooklyn. By the time you listen to this, it will be passed, but it's our fourth year and two of my co-founders are here. Guys, introduce yourselves. So my name is uh, Danny Mena, and as he said, I'm the uh, one of the co-founders with Jimmy Carboni and uh, another fellow partner who is? Ari Torin. Thank you for having us here, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. So we've assembled to, to, for tonight just in honor of Bolazol and because uh, there's going to be a new executive director of Heritage Radio Network announced at the uh, party afterwards. So you guys are missing out two parties if you're, if you're listening to this in two weeks. But we're here in the studio at Roberta's Pizza, and it's a historic place for our network. And what do you think, Greg? You, when were you last in the studio at Roberta's Pizza? I was last in the studio of Roberta's Pizza on March 11th of 2020. And on that show, I came so very close to saying, you know what, I think this whole COVID thing is overblown and everyone's going to be fine. I didn't do it, and I'm really glad that <laughs> something in the back of my mind stopped me because otherwise that hot take would just be on the internet forever. Um, and I and I want I want you to remember, Jimmy, that before I say what's going to come out of my mouth next, I gave you an opportunity to tell me that I couldn't swear on your podcast and you didn't tell me no. So it's fucking weird to be back here. <laughs> But it's also really fucking cool to be back in the studio with good people again. Welcome back. And again, you're going to be hearing soon about the new executive director of Heritage Radio Network and all that. But really, we're going to talk mostly about the guests and what they do, which is what we've been doing forever on Beer Sessions Radio. So the other guests who are here, you guys go around and introduce yourself as well. Hey, folks, this is Cameron Hulk. I'm uh, Arc Torrance partner in Lot One Brands Imports. We uh, got off to the races a few months ago, and we're really excited to be here at this moment now. Hello, my name is Courtney Greenleaf-Torin. I am a lover and um, of agave spirits and hospitality, and I'm here supporting Bowl of Zol and also uh, my partner, Art Torin. Right. And I will say this, you, you've got some cool gigs where you're doing cocktail lists all over the country. Doing some consulting for restaurant groups. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. been really awesome. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. And our other friends? Hi, I'm Tiffany Collings. I'm one half of Las Chingonas Imports, and I'm here with my life partner and friend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Julia Cuthbertson. I'm the other half of Las Chingonas Imports. We're based here in Brooklyn, New York. All right. So this is this is a full house, but let's start with Danny and Ark. So um, Danny, you know, Bolazol, we, 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 this is our fourth year doing it in New York. We've been doing it in other places. But you, you've, you've also been, you know, you're a chef. You're part of City Harvest advisory committee but tell us about when you first started importing or, or or partnering with with mezcals and some of those brands i mean it started we got i got started in 2008 um and so it was interesting my I had two two guys who started our company one of my best friends 
brother was best friends with them. They were looking to get into the U.S. I had just opened a pop-up restaurant. And so in 2008, this was a time when pop-up actually didn't exist. So we called it a reoccurring culinary event. <laughs> Did not catch on. It was not as catchy as a pop-up. But I was cooking all the food in my house and then schlepping it over to the restaurant. And we put up a little sign and we called it Echo and Dumbo. And it was all about kind of the authenticity of the food. And that's when I first started drinking, drinking mezcal. Growing up in Mexico was something that really wasn't consumed. Um, and so I went down to Mexico. This area of Mexico, they call the, the distilleries, they call them fabricas, factories. And so they're like, come to this factory. And I was like, okay, let's see this factory. And it's an old man, two fermentation tanks, and a donkey. And this is a factory. <laughs> you know? I was like, where the fuck am I? You know, what is this? And so we're drinking like it was 100 degrees out. We're drinking mezcal from a plastic cup. And at the time, you know, I'd never experienced anything like this. And I was like, do you guys want to be partners? And I was like, sure. It's like, I don't know anything about mezcal. I don't know anything about importing. I don't know anything about distributing. But I'm in. And they're like, perfect. And so, you know, little by little learning and through other friends. And, and that's when I met Arik uh, shortly thereafter. And he had already been bringing his mezcal in. Um, and so we started with the, the brand Mezcal de Leyendas. And then shortly after that, we have Peloton de la Muerte. So it was kind of really like at the time, there was very few brands. It was still this kind of, you know, this this culmination that was starting to happen in Mexico. My partners opened the first mezcal bar there. So kind of they went called La Botica. And it was like starting there. And then Ron Cooper kind of started a little bit in the United States. And it was this beginning you know, trend of mezcal that at the time is like, is this a fad or is this something that's actually going to kind of stay, you know? And it was something that the people that were into it were, were excited about it, but it was still a very small kind of niche and it was a lot of, a lot of hand selling, but it was fun, man. Yeah, I remember about eight, 10 years ago, even here at Roberta's Pizza, they started having, it was, it was radical then. They'd have a mezcal uh, Negroni. And at my place, Jimmy's 43, we had a mezcal margarita. In fact, I was using Peloton your, yeah. one of yours for a while. And Ark, you, also a little backstory on you, because, you know, I'm so proud of the, the guys I do bowls all with. Like, you were, you really cut your teeth in the industry. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. Um, yeah, also, like Danny, really early on in mezcal, and uh, I think we launched uh, Fidencio Mezcal in 2009. And it was really cool in those days, and, and, and for me, Danny was one of those very cool people because there were so few brands and the real uphill battle was not the, the competition, but really getting people to understand Mezcal or want Mezcal or try Mezcal and also breaking some of the old, um, I drank the worm uh, <laughs> uh, experiences. So it was a very, uh, very, very uh, much of a rising tide and, uh, to then have that evolve into actually Danny inviting me here on your radio show however many years ago, which led to having a pizza and a beer after, which led to, hey, I have an idea for an event. Let's go do this. And then all of a sudden, uh, we have Bolazol in our fourth annual Bolazol. Cheers to four Cheers years of Bolazol. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And that's why Cheers. we're all here today. Yeah. Yes. Now, just jumping to Greg. So, Greg, uh, you guys have been doing Speakeasy for a while. Have you ever done any Mezcal shows? Oh my God, we did a lot of mezcal shows. Let's see, I'm trying to remember. Uh, in fact, we got one coming up with um, the good folks from uh, Del Maguey that's going to be on uh, Dia de Muertos, actually. So we got that coming up. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Arik, you mentioned uh, how you had to kind of like sell people on the idea of mezcal, which is kind of inconceivable in 2023. Like, it's, it? I feel like you could walk into pretty much any bar in america and even if they didn't have any mezcal in the back bar they would at least know what it is like it's so much a part of popular culture now that like not hearing about it would be like someone being like vodka what is that <laughs> what was there a moment where you knew that the tide was changing where like you felt the dam burst and like oh shit we're really we're we're riding a wave here we're onto something yeah that was it was it was it was a series of moments, right? But it was amazing. I remember walking into uh, a James Beer nominated, really beautiful chef and restaurateur early on, who was Mexican, and saying, "Hey, look, try this mezcal." And it was such a puzzlement. Like, why would I want mezcal at the time? <laughs> so I think, like, in you know, we were out there in the in, in those days of 2009 to 2010 no very few brands i think in 2013 i started noticing like a significant chunk of more brands cool brands and then by then starting then maybe by 2015 if you were a writer or a really or a cocktail bar um you were not being you you wouldn't 
do a, a list or a mention without mentioning Mescal. And then everything really kind of blew open then, I think. But, in but, 2015. but interestingly I enough, I mean, so I was right now, um, I went to the market. I was in Austin and we drove like 50 minutes north, close to like Fort Hood. And I went to like six accounts. No one had ever had Mescal. <sighs> They mm-hmm. were all there and it was kind of, and they were like, and they're like, I've never worked with it. I've heard about it, you know, and they kind of started tasting it. And it's like, how do I make cocktails with this? Like, what, how do people drink this? They're like, we're like, when you go to urban cities, like, I mean, I think really San Francisco is probably the first city that I saw, like where you stop seeing it, a list of tequila and mezcal was underneath it, where they started separating and say, okay, here's tequila. And now here's mezcal. Yeah. And, you know, so for the past, since 2010 now, so 13 years, let's say this evolution there has been, you know, major companies have bought brands of mezcal, so you know more money's going into the industry. Like all these like series of kind of waterfalls. But at the end of the day, you still go to like suburbia and, and like you go to let's say like Applebee's or Chili's or any of these that like mezcal does not exist. Uh-huh. So as much as we think in our world that it's super mainstream, we're just the tip of the iceberg of really what like the tequila world and the outreach that tequila has, like not even getting into vodka. I, I can very much second that. You know, I live in South Louisiana. I, I love what, it down what's there. What's your name? Dude? But there's uh, what's your name? Cam- oh, the, sorry. This is this is Cameron Holt. Cam uh, from the airport. From I don't even know. Just <laughs> fresh off the airport, a little bit jet lag. Forget what's going on here. Um, but yeah, I can very much second that. I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years working smaller markets because I see how important they are because they're kind of that second, third, fourth wave, however you want to look at it, as far as where the agave market's really going to come up and where we're going to see growth and see that expansion of knowledge and acceptance of the category. But it's time and time again, you go into a uh, you know, smaller town, like you said, 45 minutes outside of a major suburb. Like for, for me, that would be across the lake from New Orleans, uh, you know, the North Shore of Lake Pontchartrain. You go over there, it's an hour from one of the like capitals of drinking in the country. And yet you, you got to you know, make sure people aren't afraid of what you're pouring them type of thing. It's really interesting to see Sweet. how close that line is and how you know, not really blurry, but actually crisp, it feels. Yeah, in, in that yeah so we still got a ways to go. But that, I mean, I think that's the beauty of, real quick, a bowl of soul, you know what I mean? It's like putting these two things together and kind of like when Arik came to us and said, you know, why don't we do this festival about pozole, you know, and, and kind of in New York in the past probably 10 years, you've seen this huge revolution of ramen, you know oh, what yeah. I mean? And there's all these ramen shops and ramen and tonkatsu ramen, like everybody knows all the types of ramen. Then there's all about like fresh noodles and everything. And pozole, I think, has the same sort of... Uh, you know, vibe, it has the same sort of quality that you can get, but um, but at the same time, it's like much much less known than, than ramen. And so I think, you know, pozole and kind of that combination oh, yeah. of the two coming together is beautiful. Let's go to our, so let's, let's talk to some of the other importers. So Julia and Tiffany, just tell us about how you started your import company and, and why. I mean, you know, Julia, <laughs> I know you have a day job. Ha, we but both do. We wouldn't know that from the internet. But. No, you, and hopefully they're not listening right now. <laughs> well, Tiffany and I uh, we were agave nerds, and we met through the wonderful world of mezcal, of course, um, and uh, really hit it off as friends um, and decided, this was back in 2019, that we both had a lot of connections to the mezcal world, both with producers and brands that were from outside of Oaxaca. And so we had this sort of common vision of bringing in agave spirits, but focusing mainly on non-Oaxacan spirits. Um, And so we launched in 2021, officially, took us some time with the pandemic, uh, with two bottles from Guerrero. And uh, those will be our our babies as the first ones you brought into the market. And to help introduce you guys, let's tell us about one of the bottles that you brought. And we might as well start tasting Oh, yes. Yes. If yes. we have to, I guess we have to. Jesus. Um, so Julia is going to start. Then I was going to be doing oh, work. Today. This is Tiffany again from Las Chingonas Imports, <laughs> the other Chingona. Um, so we're going to be pouring Rayo Seco Cupriata uh, from a town in Chichihualco, Guerrero, which is about, mm, I'm going to say, what, how long does it take us from uh, Chilpancingo? Like two hours to get it's, there? Uh, well, it's about 45 minutes from Chilpancingo. The, it the, feels uh, the longer. <laughs> but uh, it's about Three and a half hours from Mexico City. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's really cool with what we think is really cool about this mezcal is that the producer does everything by hand. So everything from making the still, um, he hand chops, everything's wild harvested, um, and using a Filipino still, which is you know pretty uh, old world technology of making mezcal, um, and his name is Margarito Lopez. He's fourth generation uh, mezcal maker in Chichihualco. Ooh, wait, 
Yeah. Mine? This is a, yes. sorry, hold on. I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. So this is a clay pot distilled uh, mezcal. Um, he, Margo makes 300 liter batches every couple of weeks, only for six months out of the year. So we're looking at like 2,000, maybe 2,500 liters produced the whole year. Uh, it's pretty distinctive flavor. I'm so sorry the listeners can't um, necessarily try it at the same time. <laughs> but um, it is, when you ask Margo what the, uh, what the major influence is in the final flavor profile, he says the water. And the water is um, a river, mountain river that runs about 200 feet behind the uh, fabrica, as they call it, mm-hmm. in Guerrero. Um, and, uh, and that plus the clay... Plus, you know, everything else that goes into what makes Mescal so special with the terroir. Okay, on that note, now we're at the next subject. We're going to move fast because a lot of people in this room, I love the energy. But so you just, we're talking, I wanted to talk about myths and and we're going to talk about that. Before the old myths, Ark mentioned, you know, the the worm and the Mescal. Now there's a new myth, a myth about water running and these these old factories that mm-hmm. that shouldn't be in existence in America, but they are in Mexico uh, Danny, Arik, let's let's jump in because we, we we see a lot of mezcals at, at Bolazol. What are these myths? And and you know, it, it, besides that, they're selling points. Are they real? This is for Arik or Danny. I would say a myth is um, mezcal is smoky or has to be smoky because uh, well, a lot of us have been introduced mezcal from mezcal that is is smoky, but smoke first is not a showing of good mezcal, and this is amazing. What is this agave, by the way? Cupriata. Delicious. Well, I, I kind of wanted to ask you all about that. Like, is that a hard sell as you're getting away from, you know, the sort of uh, your your suburban mall mezcal? <laughs> I was like, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was um, actually house sitting for my folks in uh, very suburban Washington, D.C. And even out there at like some of the very, you know, Oh, I'm going to sound like such a coastal elitist here, but like some very, <laughs> some very suburban bars, there is still an awareness. Like people will be like, have you heard of this stuff? It's called Mezcal. And I try not to be like that dick. I was like, I'm from New York. And I kind of, I'm like, no, please tell me more. But I feel like for a lot of them, there is this sense that like it's tequila, but smoky. Whereas right. for me, like uh, right before the pandemic, actually, I was working at a uh, Mezcal pop-up that was attached to a bar in the East Village called Paper Daisy. God rest oh, its beautiful soul. R.I.P. Love that place. Oh, God, yeah. I know. But there was a ricea there that I would literally sell to customers by saying, this tastes like a spoiled blueberry parfait and you're going to love it. Like, Which ricea was it? Oh, God, I wish I could remember now. I could could draw you a picture of what the bottle looked like, but I cannot remember the words on the side of it, unfortunately. (laughs) All right, right, can you please tell them which one it is? Which which, which one was it? It was either Estancia or it would have been one of yours. La Venenosa. No, I don't think it was La Venenosa. No, it didn't. Did it look like a little squat bottle and it was kind of clear? Yes. That was Estancia, yeah. Yes, yes, that was what it was. that is how I met Tiffany through her work with Estancia. Hence, I knew Pooper Daisy very well, but yes, yeah. Well, man, well, crap, I probably like drank Mezcal and gambled with you in the before times. I think we did, probably. But do you have to work to sell those weirder flavors to people, have we have we almost done too good of a job of selling the mm-hmm. idea of mezcal as generally a smoky or cousin of tequila, mm-hmm. regardless of how true that is as a blanket statement? Do you have to work to kind of undo some of that learning that people did? Yes, <laughs> yes, it's all we do all day, and especially when we're doing consumer facing tastings. Yes, I mean it's it's um, it can be very very challenging, and especially when you're talking about you know mezcals that are you know people will literally say to you, oh Mexico has states, you know I'm sure you guys have been hearing this for years, and so even though like Danny you were saying sometimes it feels like we're in this bubble of oh mezcal is you know it's so popular now, but at, in at the end of the day I think people still don't know that much about it, and it's a constant. Um, it's a constant battle to uh, for understanding. And yeah, I mean, it's fun too, you know, because you can blow people's minds at the same time, go, oh, wow. Well. But yeah, but I, I would think, say I th- yes. <laughs> but I think a lot of it is the evolution of the palate. You know, when it was interesting, like when we first started bringing our mezcals in, so we brought in mezcals, one from Oaxaca, one from Guerrero, one from Durango. And and a lot of the mezcals were, were from Oaxaca and they were all espadines. And this was, you know, 13, 14 years ago. Um, and so I thought, it was like Espadines, everybody knows that there's uh, plenty in the market and for the demand, they're going to be really fascinated with this mezcal from Durango, this rather agave. 
And the thing is, and if you think about it, like kind of in music, like once you hear a song, the first time you hear it, you may like, you may not, but you hear it again, you hear it again, you hear it again, and all of a sudden it sounds familiar. And then whether even you like it or not, you know, then Vanilla Ice becomes Vanilla Ice, you know what I mean? Or, I'm showing my age, you know? Taylor Swift becomes Taylor Swift, sorry. Apologize to the kids, but, but like, you know what I mean? So it's interesting, like right now, like my palate no longer really notices smoke. Like after mm. Eric said it, I kind of tasted a little smoke, but most of the mezcals and the first set of mezcals and mezcals that are not well balanced can be way too smoky. But there's a lot of great mezcals on the market that when people have never had a mezcal, that first instinct and that first reaction is like, ooh, smoke. And it's one of those things that you can pick up like a buttery Chardonnay and you're like, oh, I can taste the butter. And you know what I mean? But then it's like, okay, get past that a little bit, have a second sip, and then you start tasting all these other nuances. Obviously, when you have Raisias and you have things that are incredibly funky, then it starts to kind of skew things. But I think even the evolution of like, you're so used to, and like white tequila is such a popular because it's sweet, it's pretty mild. Most tequilas out there are pretty like one step above vodka, but not a huge leap, you know what I mean? And so mezcal is kind of that next step, but it takes like like scotch drinkers, you know what I mean? Like I always find scotch drinkers or whiskey drinkers and really more scotch are fans of mezcal than tequila drinkers. And it's because they're pal, they're used to taking, you know, slow sips and appreciating and understanding like all the nuances that go behind it. So I think a lot of it is like, it is a lot of education like Tiffany was saying, but it's also, I think it's, and like luckily mezcal kind of got started on the right foot of saying, you have to taste good mezcal. Like everybody has a Montalban story or a lot of people do <laughs> that, are, that are older, but then when they're younger now, like it was, you know, like, uh, you know, Ramchata and, and like Fireball. These are ones that the consumer told the bartender, this is what I want. And mezcal really started on the other way. It's like, oh, I like whiskey. It's like, you like whiskey? Have you ever had a mezcal? Would you like to, you know what I mean? And it was yeah. kind of this really interesting thing of like, and really it started off with the right side. Like most people that have had mezcal of our generation now have had a really good mezcal. Right. And now it's like our, our job to make sure to maintain that mm -hmm. because little by little that's going to keep getting diluted just because money is, makes things, you know, go in a certain way. And Danny, to your, to your, to your point of, uh, our palates evolving and being receptive to, uh, I just want to thank you for being a visionary and bringing in mezcals that weren't from Oaxaca, exposing us to things outside uh, and sort of beginning that consumer journey of, hey, this is so broad. Uh, when we say mezcal, we're talking about such a broad thing. When we say mezcal, even we're actually talking about all agave spirits in a lot of ways, like all the traditional spirits from Mexico. So it's such a huge, huge tapestry of amazingness out there. So for you out there, for you people out there, uh, come to events, talk to people, follow your guides and your gurus, and don't be afraid because you're going to find what's good for you. But but in that same vein, real quick, you know, it's funny because you came out with a lot from your Fidencio, it was called Tierra Blanca. And it was one of those that really, like everything is like par for the same, except for this agave was grown in a certain field that had certain properties mm -hmm. that, and everything else, distillation, everything was par for the course. And it was really fascinating to see like how important terroir is. You know what I mean? It's one of those, like you taste different agaves and agaves like a cuprata that come from, you know, Guerrero, a cuprata from Michoacan, they taste differently. But there's so many other factors, the water, yeah. whether, you know, myth or myth or facts, you know, the gods, uh, the producer, the land, like all the things are out there. You know what I mean? But but like, Absolutely. but this was like such an amazing thing that was like so enlightening to me. And I was like, and it was such a beautiful lot. I mean, on a personal level. Somebody asked me for that two days ago. <laughs> it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. Just to move it along, I want to just, one thing about the tasting and learning about mezcals, for me, it's like, it seems like there's, and I want Courtney to get in on this one too, because I know you develop a lot of cocktails. It seems like there's certain ways people want to see their drink in, in a cocktail and you know there, there's a new soltal oh their strategy is to get in all these upscale chains and and to have you know their soltal featured but i like personally just from i've been in the industry so long and, and why i like going to wine tastings and spirit tastings i really like 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 uh julia and tiffany just poured us i like just having a neat taste of a spirit mm -hmm. so how, how do you reconcile that when like you know you're you're developing your cocktail program how, how do you work in mezcal and how do you, you know, communicate with your clients and your and the customers and staff? Well, when it comes to building a cocktail menu in a, in a restaurant, in a bar, it is all about, I think, educating your staff. And um, that is 
pretty much the most important thing. So you can have incredible cocktails with these amazing spirits from from Mexico, but if your um, if your staff is not actually aware of the production where they're from, all these pieces that we're speaking of, then um, that's that is the connective tissue. So I think making an amazing cocktail that's balanced, that's approachable, um, or very straightforward, but making sure that your staff, your bartenders, your servers do know the base spirit and where it comes from. I think taking a moment to be able to also engage with your guests, having one of these new cocktails, one of these cocktails that's integrating one of these spirits that maybe a new, their first time sipping a so, uh, tasting a sotal in a cocktail to take a moment and maybe just pour the sotal on its own meat, as you say, and let them taste it in its independent place to understand the flavor profile, to talk about um, every piece and aspect that goes to it. So it does become a very conscious. You know, it, it, I know how much hard work it is. If anyone remembers, you probably don't. Robert Mondavi in the 70s and 60s, whenever he started out with California wine, he literally went with hand selling and, and hosted dinners in restaurants and was talking to them about California wine and Napa wine as opposed to French. And, and he single-handedly, by going from good restaurant to good restaurant hosting events, he's the one that got California on the map. I mean, that's the myth, but it's, it's true. Yeah, I think it's all about, um, as everyone here is saying, it's um, telling the story. It's, all, it's a lot of storytelling and um, just being present with it and... Yeah. And telling it. Yeah. Well, it's a great intro. Let, let's go to the next bottle. I know that um, Arik and Cameron, uh, just this is exciting. First, we have Las Chingonas, which is uh, one of the boutique importers and that we love you and you're back at Bolazol. But but Arik, I think Arik and Cameron, starting with Lot One Brands, is the story of the year, Danny. I mean, you guys, you know, Arik's one of our legends and this is a whole new uh, important company. So... Let's let's taste the bottle and tell us about it because this is sexy and exciting. I'm excited. I haven't had this. this yeah, is, this is new. So, and then you also have some other guests coming out after after the show for the party. Um, so, give us a little first a preview of of your portfolio as it is now. Um, well, go for it. Well, our exploring, so I'll I'll give it a talk. And and you know, Courtney, I wanted to go back to your your cocktail uh, explanation real quick for a second because I I think you're so right, but. I wanted to point out that the second best way to get people on Soto cocktails is not to tell them what's in it. Because <laughs> then they'll love it and then they'll order it again. It works for me every time. Um, so this is this is a lot one brand. We, it's been a really exciting handful of months. Um, some ups and downs, and we are feeling very much on our feet and very excited for where we are at this moment. Um, we have four brands in the portfolio right now. Um, we have Mi Casa Tequila, Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, it was actually distilled in 2011. So we have this amazing 12-year-old Whoa. Blanco. Whoa. Some nine-year extra Añejo small batch and 41 nine-year extra Añejo <laughs> single barrels that are all getting pre-sold. All right, wait, do that again. That so, was good. He knows how to work boom. with well, audio here. All right, like, come on. Um, <laughs> and then we, we've uh, we've got Rancho Tapua that has a project that Arik started uh, several years ago and is – and we continue to market for beautiful Bacanora Lechuki and Palmia from Sonora, uh, from the Roberto Contreras family, senior and junior, father-son duo. Um, big news, we just signed uh, Maiz Nation, Oaxacan corn whiskey. Uh, they're making some nice. amazing whiskey with native corn uh, grown by indigenous communities out of their distillery that uses 100% rainwater collected water 100% solar power, and it treats every drop of wastewater and vinyasas that come out of the distillery. So it's a pretty exciting, uh, exciting uh, project to work with. But what we're drinking right now is Porejo. Um, Arik, feel free to jump in at any moment since you just poured it. But uh, what we're enjoying in, in this moment is a, uh, uh, a lechuguilla from Northwestern Chihuahua. So this is exciting for me because when I pour this for people, it's oftentimes the, the first moment and first opportunity for them to experience something that's an ensemble of both sotol and agave. So this is 60% Dasiliria and Waliri and 40% agave siniso. So up in this region in the northwestern area of Chihuahua, anything with agave in it, they're referring to as lechuguilla. So Parejo is going to be sotol and lechuguilla spirits from Chihuahua. And I, I just, I think it's so much fun, this particular expression. Um, but th let's talk about the brand as a whole. So Parejo is, um, is this term that brand founder Jorge 
uh, Caldera started recognizing kept popping up all the time. And, and it turns out it's a term that the Veneteros use to really kind of signify when their distillate is perfect, when that Sotol is perfect, when they're diluting it down and proofing it and pouring it between uh, the, the horns that they use to check the perlas. And at some point they say, ah, that's Parejo. And so he named the brand after that. Um, so we're really excited to see how this ends up showing in the market. It will be here within a month or two. And we kind of expect it to be you know, in some ways sort of a benchmark for the category because everything that we taste from them is just absolutely outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. Greg, I, I know you want to ask a question, but my first thing is, <laughs> did you get confused with that? introduction <laughs> which which introduction i don't know sotol with lechuga and <laughs> lettuce sounds like a salad i'm sorry yeah exactly i'm hungry for roberta's pizza and salad i know i know just enough spanish to be confused by that it's kind of like wait what but no i mean this is the i i love the um i'm gonna use this as an excuse to take another sip here I'm just playing with this white boy from D.C., just so you guys know. I know what it is. Guilty as charged. Actually, I mean, that leads me to an interesting point that I kind of have been, have been sitting on here, though, that, like, I mean, I love all of the, the work that y'all are doing to bring in these really cool ancestral spirits that have been flying under the radar and underappreciated for, for so long. But I also, you know, just want to make the point, this is a pretty gringo-heavy room, as Jimmy pointed out, myself deeply included in that. <laughs> And I sort of want to, you know, talk a little bit about Greg Blanco. That's me. <laughs> uh, but sort of, what is your, what is your, what is your general philosophy and kind of strategy for making sure that these are um, traditions and and plants and things that are able to uh, survive and thrive, and that we're not just, you know, more gringos coming in and just being like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to take this now. I can happily answer some of that. Um, yes, I'm a gringa. I know it's embarrassing. I'm Midwest gringa too. I'm like, you know, like a friend who just arrived in the back from Chicago, close to that region. Um, Julie and I are both fluent in Spanish. I've spent a lot of time in Mexico. I'm married to a Mexicano. I know God help me. It is don't recommend it. Run girls. No, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love him. He's from Puebla. I thought you were married to each other. Well, you know, well, it's a complicated situation. It's, it's complicated He's as be we very say. Confused. I'm sitting next, next to Julia though. So it gets complicated. But I think, you know, what I always say to people, you know, because we do get this question a lot is you're two white girls, you know, what are you doing in this in this world? And, you know, I think number one is we work with family owned producer owned brands, we work with Mexican owned brands. Um, we handle logistics. Most of my day is so boring. I am just <laughs> talking to I'm doing paperwork. I'm talking to the government. I just did our monthly reporting for New York State, you know, a lot of it. So what we try to do is just tell the stories um, on this side of the border. And unfortunately, a lot of these small family-owned brands, they they can't come here for, for many reasons and they can't sell here. So that's our job, right? And that's, that's what we try to do. And I think it's just about the respect you bring to it and the care you bring to it. Um, I'm sure Julia has something to add to this as well. Well, I mean, mainly just that I was Latina in another life. I don't know about you, but like I have always had this connection with the Spanish-speaking world. I've lived in on and off in Spanish-speaking countries since I was 16. Um, but, you know, we uh, the most important thing really is having we have very personal relationships with all of the producers and we are here to tell their stories and to represent their wonderful products. Um, but it's very important for us to work with exclusively with Mexican owned brands um, and ones that really need a voice. This is a great show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage <laughs> Radio back. Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. It's our 14th year. Very special <laughs> night here in the studio at Roberta's Pizza. We've got the, the co-founders of Bolazol Festival and some other Mezcal folk. And tonight we're announcing the new executive director of Heritage Radio Network. Afterwards, little party at Roberta's Pizza. Check it out. We're back. This is the place to be. Greg Benson's here from the Speakeasy. Craig, hey, hey. when were you last in the studio at Roberta's Pizza? Three and a half years ago. I've been back to Roberta's a couple of times, but it was also weird to me to realize that I've been only doing this show for four and a half years. So I've been doing this way longer from the little studio that I built in my closet in my apartment than in this actual <laughs> studio. But Greg, you're, you're like a real guy. I'm going to say you're the real podcast guy. You've won some awards, these taste awards. I mean, taste of the cocktail awards, right? I mean... Thanks, man. Yeah, well, it was, I mean, that's the thing is I've been doing this as... a real as, podcast. Uh, <laughs> He's got the our, voice. Our, I mean, the look too, but the voice. podcasters. I mean, I think it's like it's like Dan Savage and Mark Maron, and I think everyone else is just pretending, but that's just me. <laughs> but, like, I, I remember during the pandemic, because, like, I was doing this whole... Um, you know, podcast producing thing on the side is kind of like a little fun extra way to make some money. And then my main gig was doing these bars and restaurants. And very, very quickly, nobody needed bars and restaurants for a little while. And everybody was listening to podcasts. So things just kind of flipped. So that's just sort of the world that I've been in for a while. But I will say I am both pleased and deeply disappointed to see that the bar that we assembled in this uh, studio here is still pretty much intact from the way it was three and a half years ago. Well, so. one, one thing, you know, the, the, the old days of, of Harry's Raid Network is that there is a giant bar in the studio here, and it really was the speakeasies. So it, it was Souther and who was the other co-host? It was Southern? Damon. It was Damon. Damon was Bolte. So yeah. th those are my days, but you guys were always the wild ones. And, but we have bigger parties because we're beer guys. But now we're overlapping. We got best call. But let's well, jump we'll see, back we'll in. We'll see how tonight's party goes. Yeah. We might break into this bar a little bit later. I think we'll you're going to have to. And did you did you bring a, a cast strength? I did, but, yeah. Uh, so I was hanging out with the yeah. folks from uh, Widow Jane a little while ago. We actually did a really cool trip where we went up to. They um, proofed their whiskey down with water from these old abandoned mines in upstate New York that the water just filters through a lot of limestone and... If you're a regular listener on HRN, you probably know that uh, limestone and bourbon are like, uh, you know, apples and cinnamon. It's just it, one thing just goes extremely well with the other. And it's that minerality that's really helped whiskeys from Kentucky and Tennessee and that region of the world really kind of become the, the gold standard for American whiskey. And so they proved theirs down with that water that has that really good minerality. And so we went on this trip where we got some bottles. This I have one right here. Ah, oh, I must be able to do that. <laughs> um, we took these out of the barrels in the morning, drove upstate, and then went into the caves. And literally, like a bit of water was dripping down from the ceiling. We kind of took our bottles and opened them and like proofed them down with the water coming out of the ceiling. So I got so some. There, of this there is the water myth. Let's so, do this. I think we Let, debunked the man. Yeah, yeah, I think it's been debunked <laughs> at this point. Let's taste this side by side. We had mezcal. Let's see if the, your stuff's any is better than mezcal. And I'm drinking for beer. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call this out Ooh. from this winter and into this year transmitter i think right now for lagers is making the best lager i'm saying it on the air guys Boom. in in new york city <laughs> and i'm drinking the cast condition lager and it says martin beer that Arik ordered off the menu at at the roberta's beer list and i would never have ordered this because i never look at the can list but you know what i'm going to keep looking at the can list at roberta so back to this we're talking cool stuff Arik. This great new... Um, uh, I, I, I will say this. My European ancestors have, uh, <laughs> for many generations, been coming to upstate New York to bathe in the abandoned mines and uh, find that restorative. So, Danny, why so we, the bathwater of Arik's ancestors is in this whiskey right now. It's but, ancestral. Danny, how do we debunk the myth? Ancestral or ancestral? <laughs> ancestral. <laughs> how do we debunk the myth, Danny? Boom. What do we do? I mean, so will we debunk the myth? How do we debunk it? I mean, do we have to have a, a widow Jane that doesn't have the uh, the limestone that's been dripping from the cave yeah. and Arik's ancestors <laughs> and compare them side by side? Yeah. That's the only way. We must go to yeah. a widow Jane and uh, debunk. Debunk. <laughs> Jeez, I, guess we, I guess we have to bring well, them in and drink Two weeks ago, I did a show about scrumpy <laughs> cider, and it turns out that scrumpy is another word for having sex. So. <laughs> Now we're into waters okay. and all that. But okay, back to this, I guess. Okay, go around the room. If you had not had a, a bottle out left, you guys, Arik, this bottle, tell us about it, because 
This is sexy, man. This, you, you, uh, everything you have. Ja- I want to say Ari Torrent, everything he's imported, he's out there on the road selling. <laughs> this guy knows his stuff, and, and and I always respect you. Like, when we talked about Bozol, it wasn't just Mezcal. It wasn't just tequila. It was these other things. Soltol, Bacanora, Resia, which people are just learning about. Yes. <laughs> Next question. Right now. Was that a question? Uh, I'm about to. So, are you asking about Rysia or about Widow I'm asking Jane? about the new one with Sotal and Lechuga. Oh, the, and, oh, the yeah. one we poured before. So you're, 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 there's a new item, and then there's, there's a the guy, Lou Banks, just walked in, too. So, so, so a quick question. So, Ceniso. So, this is an interesting thing. You know, yeah. a lot of with Mezcal is a lot of colloquial names. Mm. And every town, people did it their own way. And so, like in Durango, they have two main agaves. One they call verde, one they call cenizo. And the verde is green, and the cenizo is gray and ashy. You know what I mean? That's what cenizo means. And so, like, that's how they distinguish it. But you go to San Luis Potosí, and they call another one verde. But that is not the same agave. You know what I mean? So, right now, so that goes my question. Cenizo, I know from one specific type in Durango, I've never heard. Is that a... This is Durangensis. This Uh, is cenizo uh, Durangensis, very close to the border in Chihuahua. To the border of uh, of Durango, Durangensis mm-hmm. is obviously named after uh, Durango, and it's probably the most widely used agave of that area. But it, it also bleeds out. And quickly, just a little geographic uh, information. So, in the northern part of Mexico, there's three like two border states: Chihuahua and Coahuila. And then one state right before below it is called Durango. And those three states technically are the only ones that can make sotol, even though Texas is uh, is there and it's stole. Oh no! Yeah. Everybody's distilling sotol. It's the de- denomination of origin of sotol that is uh, de- delineated for those three, three states, which is correct. But but in Texas too. I mean, there's Heaven's Door has sotol. Copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they call oh, it. Oh, sorry. Thank you, Lupe. Thank you, Lupe. That was a trademark infringement, not a copyright infringement. But in Oaxaca, they don't call it sotol. They call it cucharillo, cucharilla, right? And they call it palmilla, right? In, in yeah, Sonora, I mean, they're, they're right? making it, but I'm saying yes. the term sotol and the DO yes. is those three states. And so right. that way, and so Durango is the only state that has denomination of origin of both mezcal and sotol. Yes. But I never knew that uh, Durango went up that, or like Ceniso, Mezcal, or Agaves went up that far into the border. It also goes into Jalisco. You see Duranguenses in the northern parts of Jalisco, like northern, northern, like one of the rabbit ears. You you gotta have like a like a South South uh, California accent right now. You see that in Durango, man. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm from Brooklyn. Fuck you. All right, let's bring it back. So, Cameron, get on because you're the only guy who's not drunk yet. <laughs> Cameron, you're selling. Yeah, I'm jet lagged. You're selling so tall and true. Yeah, and you, you've got friends, and this guy Lou Bank keeps showing up. You came in early. We, we just met. But so you know this. This is what you're selling now. So, like, what's the next step? So, for our listeners, it's like a lot of them are industry. You know, there's so many freaking brands out there, but I know what you guys are bringing in is good. I know that everyone in this room is about drinking good stuff, which I am too. Um, so what are the next steps? Like you, you, you've, you found these, walk us through like these steps of you guys as importers. You found the brand in Mexico, you bring it to the States. I mean, these are little things, but for a lot of people, you have no idea how this works. <laughs> well, because so, all mean, my friends outside of the city are drinking Tito's all day, which is fine, but... Honestly, That's not the, what we talk about. <laughs> the next steps for us, man, are to take care of our people at this point, right? There's a lot of things that fell into place for us in ways that we didn't see happening. And we couldn't be more like thankful for the opportunities that have come in to uh, Lot One Brand. And so right now, you know, being able to talk about Parejo on the radio, being able to show me Casa at Bull of Zol tomorrow, being able to uh, meet up with Roberto Contreras and talk about other projects and signing on My East Nation, like, all we want to do now, as well as, you know, continue to look for the future, though, is is to make sure that we're taking care of them correctly and, and get them set up. You know, we're a new company. Some of these are brand new brands and it's time to kind of hit the streets and start selling. So right now, uh, Arik has been running the streets in Colorado like crazy, selling Mikasa. We've been pre-selling single barrels of Mikasa out in, in uh, California. We've been working the trade shows. Um and so we're just going to continue to do that. But, you know, in the future, I don't know, man. 
What are the, what are the next steps for us, brother? <laughs> I mean, I haven't been able to think fast enough. Don't, don't share your secrets. I'm going to answer in a romantic list? way, and Please for do. for for um, to to add some romance, it's really uh, the opportunity to move forward and really work with products made by people that we're enamored with, that we love, that we get to have in our lives, and then share with the people that we don't know and do know are out there and um, experience beautiful things and wonderful flavors. I would also like to just go back and say that this uh, Widow Jane is insane. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's insane. So, yeah. But but quickly going to your question or answering a little bit, I mean, what's interesting is the, uh, you know, Mezcal, the, all these producers have been producing for a very long time. You know, everybody talks about third generation, fourth generation. Mm -hmm. And and so the denomination of Oregon, Oregon origin of Mezcal started with like five states and has gone on to nine. But Mezcal production has been happening, you know, pre-colonial or, or after. But it's been a long time since they've been making Mezcal. Um, and so there are all these small little palenqueros, producers, fabriqueros, what do you want to call them? And so, you know, what's happened over time is you can go in, you befriend them, you meet them, you understand them. And you start working with families. You know what I mean? Like I went on a tour. We were not a tour. I was traveling with my partner and we we're in Puebla and we we're driving and somebody told us to meet a producer. So we went to go meet him and then we kind of got lost and there were these two cops and they were drinking mezcal. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what are you guys drinking? And I'm like, oh, we're drinking this mezcal. I said, this one's okay, Chi, but you should go meet the brother's mesa. And so we're like, well, the brother's mesa. So we're driving Mesol. down and, so, and, and, and all of a sudden one of the producers is coming the other way. And he's going to get gas on his truck. And the other guy next to him is completely wasted. And he's like, we're going to go visit you. So he's like, okay, fine. I'll get into your van. His friend who was very wasted went to go get gas in his car. He's still alive. God bless him. And so, uh, you know, and then we went to go meet this producer. We had Mezcal with him. And he's like, okay, you got to meet my cousin. And then you got to go meet somebody else. And so you start building these relationships, you know, and like people that are from Mexico understand and kind of are able to be able to do this, you know. And, and so Oaxaca being an epicenter is an easier kind of way to kind of get in and get your kind of feet wet. And as you start traveling, as you were talking about, like, you know, Rayo Seco, and it's like three hours away from Mexico City. And in Guerrero, San Luis Potosí, there's like 20 producers, you know what I mean, that are certified. There's a few more out there. But it's kind of one of those things that, like, you start to be able to befriend them. And then it's up to you how you respect that relationship, you know. And it's kind of an easy way. And it kind of becomes like a negociante, like you was doing wine, where you buy, you know, you buy the, the, the mezcal from them. You bottle it under your name. And then you and you kind of and then and then you start selling it. And so at the end of the day, it kind of works out well because a lot of these producers have mezcal, they have brands. The marketing is really bad. Like the labels are the ugliest labels. And sometimes, like you know, a perfect example is like Don Mateo, and they they gave it a couple little touches to it. Then all of a sudden, it became like a really cool and like authentic brand. Yeah, right? yeah. You know what I mean? Guided by a true expert for sure, Guided David Sudo, yeah. uh, who took that, uh, I'm sure, put his fingerprint on that branding. Totally. And then the original one was was had less market appeal, but it's still like a nice balance. But it's one of those things that like, you know what I mean? Like I was telling my producers, like we don't have any contracts with them. So it's like, you guys produce as much as you can and I will buy as much as I can from you. And if I can't buy everything that you're producing, sell it locally, mm -hmm. sell it to another brand, be transparent because if you're selling to another brand, like I don't want to have, you know, any issues gone the road. But like, if I can do my job properly and sell everything that you can produce, then we're in a great place, you know what I mean? And so it's this beautiful sort of relationship that you can kind of Danny, build. Just tell us about Leanda. So so back for me, like seven, eight years ago, Leanda, that brand had different regions of Mezcal. That was pretty cool. Tell us about it. Tell, you, it was it was revolutionary. I mean, it was. It was. And I can't take any credits, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but it was like my partners who kind of like, they're, we're all from Mexico City. You know, and so they started traveling around. One of my partners went to a wedding in 1998 um, and way, drank way too much mezcal that a human being should. Woke up the next day and woke up feeling surprisingly well. He's like, why the fuck have I been drinking rum and Cokes all my life? Like, like, this, is, this is what happens if you drink 30 mezcals or 30 drinks in one night. You can actually function the next day and like don't wish death upon you. And so they met a producer and then they started traveling around and they went. And so I went with my partner to Durango. And so we went to this town called Tepehuanes, which is like Northwest Durango. And we drove from the city of Durango there for like six hours. And then we met all the producers and they're like, oh, to get to where we are is another like six hours on all like dirt roads. Yeah. And they were all trying to get certified. And my partner was part of the CRM and like the regulatory body. 
And he was like, what you guys need to do, and like, he was like, you got to get your shit together. Everybody's got to come together, organize yourself, understand exactly what you need to do. And to get certified out there, it's like, he's going to come once in a year. And he's like, if he comes and we can make this happen, let's do it. But, but and, and as he was talking there, he's like, you know what? It's like, I have been here. It's like, I was like eight years ago, I came. And at that time, it was still like, kind of like post-prohibition. There was still, and so a foreigner, somebody from Mexico City coming in and asking about mezcal, everybody was saying, no, no, no. Like, we don't have mezcal. We don't have mezcal because they were too worried what his intentions were. And, he, and so it's really interesting. Like, they really, and like, and luckily through him, you know, I've got to travel and learn and understand. And so we've gone out to San Luis Potosí and Durango and Guerrero and like all these other places that, you know, or some of them are, are, are quite dangerous, even are getting more dangerous now. Um, but there's really cool and interesting mezcals. And so mezcal, like, and like Eric was saying, it's it's so vast that to even say the word mezcal, like they say that I love mezcal or I dislike mezcal, is kind of hard because there's so many mezcals out there that are, you know, like when you talk about champagne, it's a very specific DO and that and that's a region. And, and so it really gives you- and Even in I, that though, there's a lot of variations. There is a lot of variations, but nothing like mezcal. Like you look at a bottle, like I look at that bottle. I look at that bottle, the few bottles that we have here in front of us, and I have no clue what I'm going to get into. You know That's what I mean? Right. And so it's like, and it's always a journey. Well, there's that stat that, or that, that you and I have talked about this, Danny. Um, so the denomination of origin of mezcal is the largest DO of any DO on the planet, both geographically and with participating producers. But it's also the largest DO, and this is the interesting part, of producers who are not participating in the DO. And then, of course, there are the producers who identify themselves as mezcal producers that are outside the geography of the DO. So the potential for flavor is enormous beyond so, you know. Julia, jump in. No, no, no. The, the, the no, new kids. Just... We got the new kids. <laughs> new kids. New kids, not so new. We, we, we were. I was going to cite actually the same statistic about the the just the enormous oh, size yes, yes, of the deal. We're just big nerds. That here. was a fist bump. Yes, yeah. yes, we just fist bumped. Um, but you know that's also why we actually bring in almost exclusively non-certified agave spirits and. That is because uh, a lot of them are producers who are so small where it's not really advantageous to even certify as mezcal. They're from really remote regions. It's costly. It's also a philosophical. Do, uh, do you feel like that hurts or helps your ability to represent them and sell them? Good question. In this market, at least in New York, no. And it's actually part of the story. And it's part of the story we tell is that this is why it says agave spirits and not mezcal in the bottle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a good reason why. And it's very complicated, but it's part of the story we tell. And I think at least consumers here in New York understand it's a mostly a political difference. And it's still on the shelf next to the mezcales. Um, and that's the only difference. Are you pigging back on the mezcales by being on the shelf next to them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you know wait. we are, Danny. You know we are. Wait. And the last thing is, they always say about food, like heritage food. If you if you love a breed, eat it. You know, mm. with with mezcal, it's the same thing. If you love this mezcal, you, you have it. drink it, right, and buy it. Yeah. yeah. Greg's got a question because this remember co show with Greg. Greg's <laughs> from the Speakeasy Heritage Radio Network. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess I wanted to ask because as as shocking as this is to me, at at certain points there are parts of the world that are not New York City. Um, <laughs> and so, DC. So what, do you, so what do you do for those other spots? Well, like how, how about this? How, let's pick, mean, let's pick a place because okay. even in our, our little dealings with mm -hmm. Bolazol, we've been to New York City, mm -hmm. Boston, and Denver. And I will say in Denver, how about we talk about Denver first? Denver, yeah. talk about Pozole and Mezcal IQ. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So do you want to talk about the place that have high IQ, Greg? Oh, no, I want to talk about our, our favorite whipping boy on the speakeasy, which is Des Moines, Iowa. And and for oh, the record, okay, I okay, have okay. Been As a Midwesterner, I will. I will I've been this there. One. <laughs> okay. I have been trying to get a guest on from Des Moines, Iowa, with varying degrees of vigor on my behalf, <laughs> on my behalf for, for many, many years, and we haven't gotten one yet. But well, I'm determined really... to do it because whenever we're searching Wait, for an example. Now. Come on. No, I'm just saying Really You're amazing. I'm, I'm not from Iowa. Greg, we're not in your closet anymore. Come on. <laughs> but being from Indiana and living in New York, people do think I'm from Iowa. But I am not their distinct states, everybody. Um, but there are some great, there's some great bars in Des Moines. Like I'm sure you could find someone to come on and talk to you. But I will say that, you know, I um 
you were saying, Cameron, that that the um, that the there's this market there in the Midwest and in these places that people don't really understand or they don't really know that much. But I see that as like a big potential for growth. But beyond that, one of our great markets is Missouri. One of our, we, huh, we yeah. launched, we launched. So when we, of course, as a brand or as a company, I should say, we were like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to be in New York. We're going to be in California. We're going to be in Texas. We're going to be here and there in Chicago. No, we're in Georgia. We're in Missouri, we're in Arizona, and yeah. we're in New York. And they and all and they all came to us. Missouri. That wasn't anything we really sought out. It was all very like organic yeah. connections that happened and Missouri especially, like they were but they heard about us somehow and now we're there and they've a they're demand. ordering a lot. Smaller than here, but the demand is there. And I don't think that people are, let's say, less educated on these things. I mean, in some ways, maybe here and there, but there are still people in these in these places that want agave spirits that want mezcal and are interested. So, all right, yeah, not less educated, just less exposed. It's exactly. on us. Yeah. It's exactly. on our yeah. back. We're getting out there, yeah. and uh, it's it's something that we're all here in this room going to look back as a lifetime and see the difference of how we have put work into to affect change of people's understanding. And some of it's amazing, some of it's not amazing, some of it's regular. <laughs> yep. All right, Jimmy's wrap giving me the wrap yeah. it up. Last question, one last question, last question. or one last statement. No, no statements, questions. If someone has one question, they gotta ask a little different. Put your hand up now. Ooh. Oh, 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 it's Mr. Lupe. Oh. You actually, if you, okay. and, and Greg, Greg, why don't you, Greg, this, Greg, <laughs> in, introduce this guy, because. We actually have a Mezcal show on Heritage Radio Network. We do. We do have a Mezcal show here on Heritage Radio Network, hosted by Mr. Lou Bank over here. <laughs> okay, I just have one question. Ooh. Well, what's your show, Lou? It's Agave Road Trip. It helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. My question is, how is it possible that, Greg, I'm looking at you and your back is sweaty as hell, and yet I'm looking at Cameron and I'm looking at Ari and they have hats on in this room that feels like it's about to rain in here. That is my question. How can you guys be wearing hats? <laughs> Tough question. Let's see what your response. <laughs> I just flew in from South Louisiana. That's how. Oh, there we go. And Ari? Eric. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up then. And then, you guys, I want to thank you guys so much. One more time, we'll go around. Everyone say their name and, and their their job or whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll say our goodbye. So my name is Danny Mena. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, excited about tomorrow, though, for you guys will be what happened three weeks ago for Bowl of Soul <laughs> NYC, uh, fourth year coming. Uh, my name is Greg Benson, co-host of the Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. I uh, just want to say it was awesome being in here, uh, talking to all of you and learning a lot from you and chatting about some of these spirits that I really love. And, and if, I'm thrilled to have the voice of Heritage Radio Network here. Oh, oh, you're too kind, You've done Jimmy. it, bro. You're amazing. This guy, let's go. Yeah. Time for the party. We're doing a party outside Time of Roberta's Pizza. Cam Hall from La One Brands. This is about as much fun as I've ever had 45 minutes off a plane. So. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney Greenleaf Torin, just spreading some agave love. Spirits expert, <laughs> consultant, hotshot. Extraordinaire. Oh, yeah. Nice. Handsome. Uh, Mr. Courtney Greenleaf Torin. <laughs> oh. And um, thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, why we're in that hat? Because I think it's sexy too. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> style rules. Because Lou, style rules. That's why, bro. You're in New York City? Style. That's right, Lou. Uh, Tiffany Collings, one half of Las Chingonas Imports. I'm wearing a jacket. I'm very sweaty. <laughs> um, you didn't point that out, but it is hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> and the other half of Les Chingones, Julia Cuthbertson. I'm wearing a t-shirt and I am comfortable. Uh, this is our radio debut and we're so happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank and you, guys, Julie. this is a preview. And then for some of you, a recap of Bolazol Festival. Bolazol.com and, and we're all friends. And it, why do we have Bolazol? For me, it's just like craft beer and, and cider and so many other things. Mezcal is really exciting. It, it, there's so many great people involved in it. 
from producers to importers. And I, I really like that community and it complements well the world that we know from craft beer. So guys, thanks for listening and keep track of bullsold.com. We actually do Boston and Denver as well. So thanks so much for joining me guys. Thanks to Armin Spengen, our engineer, big shout out to the, the new HRN executive director. Keep track with heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for Burtis pizza. Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Blue Bates! Oh, my God! Blue Bates! Oh, my God! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.